Tax time. Doesn't that excite you? Okay, I realize it doesn't. However, tune into today's show. We're going to give you some angles on tax preparation that you've never heard. The 10 mistakes to avoid to keep you out of tax trouble. Tune in. Money Guy Show is going to do it the Money Guy way. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement. Investing. Taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Oh, the intro. It was it was it was a a, a beautiful thing to watch take place. That's because I went three different ways in the three <laughs> different takes. As you guys, I don't know if you've ever caught on. We don't really edit this show. The only thing that ever gets well, a lot of stuff gets screwed up. The only thing that ever gets fixed that's screwed up is we sometimes the the start process. We're like a, a 1910, 1915. We have to crank it, you know, like an old model Ford. Model T, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Crank it. So you know, we we make mistakes in the beginning, but we got this thing rocking and rolling now. On our third take, um, when you go, we we ought to start putting those outros. I don't know if I want those outros kept, but we could put them at the back of shows at some point. But guys, this is one of those shows that at first, when I heard, because Bo was the one that said we ought to do a tax episode. It I'm seems like, like it's that time of year. I'm like a tax episode. Realize, guys, I have close to two decades of actual tax preparation experience. I sold my tax business about five years ago, and I don't know if it's because I did it so long, I just assume all you guys are tax experts too, but there is a lot of experience you know, with representing clients in front of the IRS as well as tax preparation and other things that I just consider it boring. But Bo has a very good point that this is the perfect time of year to talk about taxes. And then I also worry, because guys, we recognize... Part of the show is not only to educate you on how to go beyond common sense, we want to entertain you. And the last thing I'm already worried about in such a dry subject space where finances are not something you don't see people going to Las Vegas to watch a guy talk about personal finance, you know, while you're on vacation. It's just that that thing doesn't exist yet. Maybe we'll be the first one, but it just doesn't exist. You go to magic shows, you go see some tigers jump around. You don't go to learn about personal finance. Right. So I'm always concerned, are we making this entertaining enough? And then you throw the word taxes into it, and I'm like, goodness gracious, this is going to be like a an annual physical or, or your <laughs> once every five year physical where you do stuff that's inappropriate. But it's um it's one of those things where we're going to try to make this as fun as possible. And here's the the take I wanted to do on today's show as well. With this close to two decades of tax preparation experience, I said, I don't want to do one of those traditional podcasts or the articles you see out there in financial media where it tells you, you know, in years that you think that you're going to, to have low income, accelerate your income, and years that you think you're going to have high income, accelerate your deductions, and all these other boring, common sense type things. We actually, I wanted to go at this from the angle of doing taxes for so long, I saw the same mistakes over and over and over again. And these are all super successful, super smart people. I was like, why don't I go from these? This could be like the confessions of a professional tax preparer and the things that you need to not screw up on your own personal taxes. And when I looked at the list, it was about 10. Yep. Now, if we have time, because I'm already worried just because of this intro, it's going to go longer than I anticipated. I had even like four or five other things to add to the 10. We'll see if we get to those, but we're going to hit the 10 that I consider the most important first. And, and this is one of those things, please try to avoid the common pitfalls, the mistakes, the admissions, 
that are really leaving money on the table. If you don't realize where you are, we'll treat this like a college class where you walked in on a professor and you don't know where you're supposed to be. I'll go ahead and tell you. This is the Money Guy Show. You can go check us out, moneyguy.com. Been doing this now 11 years? 11 I mean, years, started yeah. in 26, 2006. Um, a passion project that has just kind of taken a life of its own. We now work with you guys in over 30-plus states, yep. growing daily. One of the th- biggest things, I never, ever, ever thought that this passion project would turn into that type of thing where we have now learned to work with so many of you guys. But thank you, thank you. I mean, we we feel so fortunate and providence and blessed that you guys have come to us just from listening to the podcast. So please go check us out, moneyguy.com. You can get our email addresses. You can also find out about Twitter, Facebook, and all the other ways you can connect with us. And don't forget, it's all free. We used to you know, toy with this premium thing. Now you get premium for free. All we ask you for, the big, huge price of just your email address so we can stay in contact with you. But you can get access to 11 years worth of, worth of archives all for free if you go to our website, moneyguy.com. And then the other thing, because we haven't had one in a while, go check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, um, SoundCloud. If you can leave us uh, you know, reviews and you like what you hear, Please hook us up because that's what that's what really helps us out staying relevant because there's no big marketing commercial operation or business that's pushing this thing forward. This is really a grassroots where you guys are why, why we are successful. So let's jump into this. Number one out of ten, Bo, not maximizing retirement plans, which of course are tremendous tax savings tools. Bo, I figure let's go ahead and flex your CFA. Uh, you know. It's kind of like being a cool CPA, you know. So why are, why are, why are retirement plans such a big deal? Well, that has uh, absolutely nothing to do with the CFA, but I appreciate <laughs> you allowing me to flex. Um, the, I was what, actually flexing on my CPA, if, well, you, if you didn't notice. What's amazing about retirement plans is it's the single best way to legally hide money from the government. We all know, and, and there have been gangsters who, who have been convicted of this, that tax evasion is a very, very illegal thing that you should very highly avoid. However, tax avoidance is highly encouraged and something you should seek out and try to take advantage of by taking advantage of retirement plans, whether that be a plan offered to you through work or if you're self-employed, opening up a retirement plan yourself because you get to put money in there and it completely avoids federal income taxation and it'll also help avoid you know, some self-employment taxation as well if you're a self-employed individual. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I love about retirement plans, free money, Let's face it, employers are encouraged by, by the government through deductions to give you free money through matching, potentially even profit sharing. Those salary deferrals, the Roth accounts, oh, that's exactly right. Take advantage of the retirement accounts. Uh, another thing that I think is really interesting is, like you said, Brian, we are so fortunate we get to connect with folks all over the country. And one of the first questions I ask someone uh, when when I first start talking to them is, Hey, you know, how, how much are you contributing to your employer 401k? And, and sometimes I get this answer. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm maxing it out. My employer, you know, my employer gives me a 3% match. So I put 3% in there. Know that that might not be maxing it out. What's really interesting is that for this year, for, for both 2016 and now 2017, uh, if you're participating in a 401k, even if your employer only matches 1, 2, 3, 4, 5%, you yourself can actually put up to $18,000 into the account. And then if you're someone 
over the age of 50, which Brian will be before we know it, you can do an extra 6000 and put $24,000 in there. So there's a huge opportunity for some, some pretty severe tax savings by taking advantage of these retirement plans. And we'll talk about it a little later on one of the other tips, is that if you're self-employed, if you have self-employment income, whether it's a 1099 miscellaneous or you have a single-member LLC or you're just a sole proprietor, you can go back in time with retirement plan contributions. You can open up a SEP IRA. You can actually lower your tax bill. So we're in 2017 right now. You're probably thinking, man, how do I lower my 2016 taxable income if you're self-employed? Guess what? There's still an opportunity with some of these retirement plans. So it all piggybacks quite nicely on number one, which is maximize those retirement plans. Number two sounds so simple, but it is so important which is just being organized. Guys, you have to be organized. And I put three different ways that you need to be organized. First, physically. This seems like common sense, the fact that between mid-January all the way through mid-February, you're going to be getting tax documents to just kind of drip in in your daily mail. Why not set aside a, a, a folder that every time something comes in your mail, right by the place that you open your mail, just drop it in there. That way it's all organized you can forget about it and just know that you're organizing things and you have a process for doing that. Very simple thing. But Brian, I, you know, when I get my account statements from my custodians or when I get other tax docs, I don't always get those mailed to me. Sometimes those come to me uh, via email. And, and that's exactly right. Your next thing, beside the physical organization, you have to have a digital organization. Let's face it, most custodians or, you know, people who handle your mortgage, They've gotten where they now like to send you everything electronically, and that's outstanding because it's saving all this paper. It's also making your life easier to organize. However, it's also easier to have that information just get buried in your inbox. So what I'd recommend, just like you have a physical folder that you're going to do by where you open your mail, have a digital folder in your email inbox or somewhere in your computer. Whenever something comes in digitally, you just drop it in there. The other side benefit to this is, Say you make a contribution to a charity, you go to an auction, or you just make a contribution through the middle of the year, you can, you can, when you have that proof of the contribution, go ahead and drop it digitally in that box so you have a record of it for the future when they email you or however they get, send you the proof. It's nice to have your digital life as organized as you have your physical life. And then the other thing, this is a big one, guys. One of my biggest pet peeves when I was preparing tax returns is you send out this beautiful tax organizer where you're hoping that everybody goes through here and answers all the questions. It tells you any updates that are going on in the client's life, as well as gives them kind of a guide for all the documents that you need to do an effective job of tax preparation. If I had to estimate, I bet less than 20% of my clients ever prepared or completed the organizer. And that always frustrated me because this is what's going to organize your tax life so you're not making mistakes. So I would encourage you, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, we're going, if you go to moneyguy.com, we're going to give you a link to a, an HR block checklist that's free for the do-it-yourselfers that they have on their website. That's not an endorsement of HR block. It's just when I was doing show prep and research, they had a really good PDF that had a lot of the stuff you need to be thinking about. And that's what the big thing I'm trying to do here is if you have a checklist, it, it lets it, it doesn't let you leave stuff behind deductions or you, you're, you're not taking advantage or you're not even disclosing some of your income if you if you're overlooking this stuff you're for sure going to get a tax notice because the IRS is electronically matching up all the documents it makes sure to make th- th- that you need to be organized and prepared so that you don't forget out on uh, forget out forget different deductions and credits 
this is what's going to find those obscure items that can save you money as well. And that checklist will even help with the next item we have on the list, which is not considering major life changes. Of course. A lot of people don't realize that if you go through something significant like a death or a marriage or birth of a child or adopting or divorce, there are some tax consequences to those life events. So make sure you you are letting your tax prepare or you're taking that into account as you prepare your own taxes. And then the same thing, I put major purchases. Number three was not considering major life changes or purchases because, of course, when you buy your brand new primary residence, you probably paid some you know, upfront fees that are deductible as well as your origination fees on your mortgage. Those things are deductible in the year of the purchase. Same thing if you refinanced your house through the year. Those fees are deductible over the life of the loan. You can amortize those, um, you know, origination fees and other lender fees that you're paying. And then the other thing, automobile purchases. You know, a lot of states allow you to deduct the state, the sales tax that you pay on those major purchases. So it makes sense that anytime you have a major purchase, make sure that you are disclosing that to your tax preparer or you're at least taking that into account as you do it yourself. Um, number four was don't jump the gun. Goodness gracious, guys. This is another one of my preparation pet peeves. I know we are all excited to get our taxes, especially if you're in that, you're still in that bucket where you're getting refunds. You're racing to get your taxes done ASAP so you can get that money back, (laughs) you know, really fast. You want it. And and the good news is the government has gotten fast. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, two of the guys here have already done their taxes, had refunds. From already directly deposited in their account within, I think, five to seven yeah, days. Crazy. So it was quick. They turned these things around quick. So you want the money in your account. But here's the thing I would caution you about of trying to do your taxes too early. For instance, Fidelity hasn't sent out 1099. I have a 1099 that I'm supposed to receive from Fidelity. I think they just sent it out in the last day or two. Yep, that's right. And, um, and that's the thing is if I would have tried to start doing my taxes at the end of January, I would, I would have started the process, and then quickly realized, uh-oh, I don't have all of my documents. So that time, you know, let's face it, anytime you get into something so deep, so analytical, there's a, a wind-up period. Just like I was talking about the show, how it takes me a while to get things rocking and rolling on the podcast. It's the same thing when you're doing your taxes. You sit down, it probably takes a good five to ten minutes to get in the right mindset, to get into tax preparation mode. So when you do this and you start it, and then you realize I'm missing data, what do you think that does to that effectiveness and that efficiency of the process? You have to shelve it and then come back to it later after you get all the documentation in. It's a waste of time. So that that's one way that you're really blowing it is you're wasting your time if you start doing taxes early. If you pay somebody to do your taxes, if you're a tax, you know, hire a professional tax preparer, what do you think? It's a double whammy. Not only is it wasting their time, it's wasting your money because I guarantee, I can promise you, you know, as, as a CPA, you go through the day and you're tracking your time. If you know, and it's usually in six minute segments. Oh, you know, that point one, awful. point two, point three. Um, I can promise you, if I started working on a tax return and then got hung up because they forgot to give me, and this is another thing, if you're doing your tax organizer, you wouldn't leave this stuff behind. You probably could add easily a point two. There's twelve minutes to get back into it, and that's one of those things where you're costing yourself money if you're not getting everything organize and put together. So don't jump the gun. Make sure you have all your tax documentation before you start doing the preparation process. Number five. <laughs> now this has gotten a little better. I'm going to tell you, fortunately, technology is helping you guys out in some ways. 
back in the Stone Ages when I started doing taxes, it wasn't this effective. Um, and also, custodians are required to do more by law as well from the IRS. But I have put, number five was excessive trading. Mm-hmm. It used to crack me up. I would have clients who would give me just spreadsheet. They'd print out these spreadsheet details of all their purchases and their sales, and then they'd give it to me. And then I'm like, what am I supposed to do with it? If I put this stuff in here, you realize your tax preparation fee is going to go through the roof just because you're playing day trader. Right. You know, your tax bill is going to go up $400 just because of preparation. And, you know, it's gotten better now. If you are one of these active traders, you consider yourself a stock picker and you have a lot of transactions coming through, consider syncing up. You know, a lot of the tax preparation software, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, will allow you to go sync up with your investment provider, your custodian, and get those transactions brought right into the tax preparation software. If you hire a professional tax preparer, a lot of those electronic organizers that they're sending out these days also will allow you to do a sync function where you can send those those transactions electronically to your tax preparer. Guys, that is going to save you a fortune of input time. Now, if it is one of those things your custodian does not offer that, at least see if you can group and total by short-term, long-term transactions so that you're just providing totals for those custodians and, and save yourself a lot of money and a lot of time if you are one of those people that's placing a lot of financial trades. As a brief aside, filing your taxes every year is a fantastic time for maybe some self-assessment on behavior. If you are someone who is placing tons of trades and you're doing this day trading thing, It's nice kind of at the end of the year when you go and review all these transactions, was it worth it? When you look at maybe how the account performed and how you had these 100,000 transactions over the year, did you actually make enough money return-wise to justify that sort of behavior? If not, maybe you should reevaluate your investment strategy. Just just a thought. No, and and I've shared in the past the reason I don't do individual stocks I've shared my story. I made a good bit of money off of Apple stock in the past, but I didn't like emotionally how it impacted me. I mean, I was, I found myself emotionally attached to this individual stock and how Apple was performing for the day actually impacted my mood for the day. If Apple, Apple was down 1%, I was probably, you know, sad to a degree. If Apple made two or 3%, I was very happy about the announcement. And the funny thing was that I found with my own personal behavior is that Apple as a percentage of my total net worth was minuscule, but yet it was having a severe impact on my happiness factor. I think my family's happiness factor. And I think a lot of us are highly subjected to becoming very emotional or attached to these investments. And that's just another thing to be aware of about yourself if you're susceptible to that. So, Number six, not valuing charitable contributions correctly, and I'll put in parentheses, or at all. Um, it, it, it's so interesting. We all, I mean, one of the things when I made fun of the financial media on these simple tax podcasts or articles you see, they always say, go clean out your closet. I think I've even heard use that phrase oh, yeah. before. You know, an easy tax deduction is going and cleaning out your closet at the end of the year getting you a tax deduction by making a non-cash charitable contribution. The problem with that, when you clean your closet and you're doing a very effective job, you might have three, four, you know, big bags full of clothing. A lot of you guys are not tracking what you actually donated. You're just writing down four bags of ladies' clothes, three bags of kids' clothes, you know, or something like that. You know how much help that does to your tax preparer? 
And you know how much help that would do for you sitting across the table from the IRS if you were ever questioned on the valuation? The better thing to do is, you know, maybe I always take some pictures. What I do is I stack them up, take a few pictures with my phone just so I have a record for the future uh, on before I take the contribution. But then you can actually use the Goodwill Industries Valuation Guide. We put a link on moneyguide.com. If you go to moneyguide.com, I have a PDF of Goodwill Industries Valuation Guide, which is great. It will tell you how to value your donated goods so that you're maximizing those contributions. Because what you don't want your, if you do it yourself, you don't want to just get there and go, well, gosh, I guess I'll just take $100 because I didn't really figure out what I was supposed to be doing. Whereas if you actually look through what you donated, you might have had six or seven hundred dollars worth of contributions that you could actually take and deduct on your taxes because you maximized it. If you're using a professional tax preparer, when you don't put anything, it puts them in a really weird, precarious situation because they either have to estimate or they're going to call you up and say, hey, do you want me to? Because I had a lot of clients who would take half the advice in the fact that they would then send me a spreadsheet with all their contributions itemized but they didn't put any value, or worse, on a Word document, yeah. you know, where it's just a list of all the things. That, and I'm like, well, what's the value of this? Did you value it? Oh no, I, I didn't know what I didn't know what to, to value a lady's blouse. I didn't know what to do men's slack sets. So um, I, I'm not sure. And I, so that's where that goodwill valuation guide it lets you finish the drill because then if you know you've get, donated four trousers, you know, three blouses. You put what what the value is according to the goodwill guide, and then it extrapolates versus me as a professional tax preparer, I give you the option and say, I can figure out what these things are all worth, but it's going to take me probably 45 minutes to an hour and a half to put all this into a spreadsheet. Are you okay paying me for that? Well, if you think about that, now you've totally taking away the benefit of the charitable contribution financially. You still get the good feeling from from doing great things, but the beneficial from the financial side of things does get mitigated if you are not tracking the value. I just want to clarify one thing you just said, Brian. Um, did you say trousers? I know, I, 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 I'm just going off of what I remember. It might be on the value. I can't remember if it's on the valuation No, guide. trousers. That, you know, this stuff is muscle memory not of pants, tax knowledge. Not slacks, but trousers. Okay, I just <laughs> want to make sure I un, uh, heard that correctly. <laughs> Moving think, on. I think they used to go. It's right next to the suspenders. <laughs> It's right next to suspenders, trousers, suspenders. Um, number seven, failing to understand the benefits of efficient tax location. Guys, we, we had this conversation with no, a number of clients. As, you know, if you look at your, your tax return, you go, man, I am so tired of getting interest income from those bonds I have. Right. I am so tired of those short-term capital gains that are in that investment account. They are just driving me into a higher tax bracket. They're costing me taxes every year. Why am I even doing this investing thing? First of all, don't let the tax tell wag the dog. You should be very happy that you actually are growing, have investment income. But likely there is an efficient way to allocate your money. You, there's a, if, if a lot of you guys, and I see it all the time, you will have a lot of pre-tax assets. I mean, you know, when I say pre-tax assets, I'm talking about the tax-deferred growing assets like your 401k, your rollover IRAs. Um, those type of employer plans or things that you're getting through work to save for retirement, those are all growing tax-deferred. The great thing about tax-deferred is that anything that is generated in those, you don't pay taxes now. You pay money later when you pull it out, and you pay, and you pay ordinary income tax rates when you pull it out. So why not, since it's an apples-to-apples pass-through, 
Put your bonds in a retirement account. Mm-hmm. Put your investments that are going to have short-term capital gains, put those in that tax-deferred account because now you can hopefully push that taxation to a later day, kick it down the road, and then you don't have to pay taxes on it right now. And the other thing I like, and this goes with Roth accounts. Roth accounts, remember, you don't get a tax deduction now, but they grow tax-free. So we like to see growth assets put into Roth accounts. That's why it's so important to make sure you understand tax location. We like we got three pots of money. We have after-tax money, we have pre-tax money, and then we have tax-free money. That's your Roth accounts. So those, uh, those, those after-tax money are just your savings accounts, your investment accounts, whether it's individual, joint, tenants in common, however it is. Those are good for dividends, things that have a, a, a long-term capital gain, things like that which are favored tax status in that aspect. The pre-tax are your retirement accounts. Um, those type of things get the tax-deferred growth. That's where you want to put your ordinary income-producing assets like your bonds, um, you know, your short-term capital gains. And then your Roth assets, since they're tax-free, that's where you want to get your, you really want to stick it to the man as legally as possible and get that growth, that, that compounding appreciation that can come. Okay. So that was a lot. That was a ton that we just, that we just went through. Uh, and so maybe you're sitting there and I'm just going to kind of re-paraphrase what you said because you, you do if, that much better than that. If you're someone sitting in this situation and you think, okay, I know that I'm in a 60 40 portfolio. And so my 401k is 60 40 and then my Roth IRA is 60 40 and then my taxable account is 60 40. If you're someone that's doing that, or possibly even if you're working with an advisor and that's the way they're doing that, there might be a better way to structure your investment strategy from a tax standpoint. So if you fall in that category and that resonates, rewind like two minutes and go listen to everything Brian just said again. It's nice with technology that you can actually go back like that. So that's very helpful, Bo. Number eight, not providing enough detail to accurately record your 1099R transactions. I probably could have expanded this and said all your 1099 transactions, but I was primarily focusing on 1099R is when you take a retirement you know, distribution. And these things, we probably get more phone calls mm-hmm. on this than anything else because it scares the heebie-jeebies out of people when they get these things. Because you get a 1099R from the custodian. Say you left your workplace and you did a rollover to an IRA. You did, you rolled your 401k to an IRA rollover. The custodian of the 401k assets is going to send you a 1099R for the distribution out of their plan. The problem is, here's where the stress comes in, and you have to be very careful, is that usually they will put the total distribution in box one, and then the, right next to it, they'll have taxable distribution. It'll be the exact same number as box one, which right. is the total distribution. So a client will see this. Say you roll over $250,000, they'll see total distribution of two fifty. Then they'll see taxable distribution of two fifty. They immediately call their advisor and go, I thought you said this thing was going to be not taxed. I can't believe you did this. You stuck it to me. I'm going to have taxes on $250,000. I'm like, is that box checked that says taxable amount not determined? Yeah. See, the custodian doesn't pay attention. They don't, they're not, they're not here to do your taxes for you. So a lot of times, the majority of times, they're going to check that box, taxable amount not determined. So you also have to pay attention to the code. It might be a G or, you know, something that says, Hey, this is a rollover. But the biggest thing is pay attention to how that is laid out. And you have to know the basis 
in your retirement accounts. You also need to know how the transaction occurred so you know if it's a rollover. So you make sure it's input in correctly because what you don't want to do is you do not want to pay income taxes on after-tax basis that you might already have in those traditional IRAs. And you also just don't want to pay taxes on something that should be a trustee-to-trustee transfer that should not be taxable at all. But it is one of those things that can scare the heck out of people. That's right. One of the places we see this most often missed is, is obviously if you put it in wrong, if your payer puts it in wrong and your income is up by $250,000, you might not catch it. But somewhere we've seen this happen a lot. There's folks who are doing backdoor Roth conversions, right? Or, or just a Roth conversion in general. And maybe it's not taxable, but you might not catch that eleven dollars to $13,000 taxable distribution on page one. So you really need to be diving into it to make sure you're catching even the small stuff because it can it can add up in terms of tax dollars. I think you made a Bo Hansen income mistake there. You said you're probably not going to catch the $250,000. Just because your taxes are that big, Bo, <laughs> doesn't mean you got that backwards. And the fact that you're probably going to catch a two fifty, <laughs> gotcha. but you're right. A, a, a five thousand, a ten thousand, it potentially could slip through. And your point is spot on. I just gave me a chance to sharpen the elbow and, and poke you a little bit. Um, number nine, understanding what income is subject to self-employment tax. This one, oh boy, it's a juicy one. In the fact that one of my education moments as a as a former tax preparer that I used to dread was when you do somebody's taxes. And then you say, and then you tell them, hey, you still owe another $16,000. What the heck are you talking about? I withheld 25 to 30%. I paid 30% my taxes last year. There's no way I still owe the government money. I'm like, you didn't take into account the self-employment tax. I go, self-employment tax? What is, what, what is a self-employment tax? Guys, if you don't know, all these people out there who work for themselves, who either file their taxes on a Schedule C because they're sole proprietor, um, single member LLC, um, you know, or j- just an LLC in general, and it's flow through from a K-1 or whatever, when they do their taxes, you think this fun game where you pay into Social Security and Medicare, you're the only ones doing it? That's not true. What you probably don't realize is, is that you pay 7.65% towards payroll taxes, towards Social Security and Medicare. Your employer is paying the other half. If you add those two numbers together, that's 15.3% gets paid for Social Security and Medicare. When you're self-employed, that 15.3% doesn't just go away. It just goes to you completely. So if you're paying, if you're paying 25%, usually you have to add 15.3% on top of it as well. So it's very important to understand what self-employment taxes are and once you understand what they are, you will quickly realize it's important to figure out how we can minimize this stuff as much as possible. And that's why you'll want to go find deductions like retirement plans. Remember how we were talking about number one, retirement plans were so powerful. This is when it is really powerful to go out there and figure out how you can do these SEP IRAs, solo 401ks, and other things with your self-employment income to lower and mitigate that horrible situation where you have all these taxes coming from different directions. The other thing is home office deductions. Um, the accelerated depreciation on equipment, business mileage. These are all deductions that are usually overlooked that can make your day. But this is a complete tangent, Bo, and I'm going to go ahead and put the disclaimer. We didn't talk about this in show prep. Oh, I love when these happen. I love when these happen. I watched the movie The Accountant. Never in my life. You know, when I watched The Born Identity, I love all these spy movies and everything else, but I never felt like I was been, you know, I was Matt Damon when I was watching all The Born Identity. Right, right. When I watched The Accountant, 
and I watched him talk about the home office deduction stuff, I physically paused the DVD and I said, honey, I know all of this. <laughs> and in my own small way, sans the whole martial arts, being able to break somebody's arm and stuff right, like right. that. I had everything under control. <laughs> Especially, it made me feel good because my next door neighbor said, it's an okay movie. It's just kind of hard to follow. I'm like, that movie's not hard to follow. If you're a CPA, this is just, this is like catnip. I mean, I loved the, the accounting. It was great. If you're a nerdy CPA type, it, it kind of makes you feel good. So that's why it made me think because I saw the, the home office deduction uh-huh. on my notes yeah, here. I'm and with I was you. like, you know, like Ben, me and Ben Affleck, we're like this, yeah, and I'm right. holding my fingers up right next to each other because you can see that. Yeah, right. Um, number ten, <laughs> bad business structure. This is one, and and guys, I'll be honest. This starts to get to the level you probably need to go see somebody. If you if you're concerned, if you're setting up a business and you have, say, you're a sole proprietor and you're starting to have some success in your business, you probably do need to go hire a professional, whether it's an attorney. Um, a, a tax accountant or somebody to help talk to you about structures because this is where you can get yourself just in waters where you're not doing anything wrong, but you might not be doing the best strategy to minimize taxation as much as possible. Um, the, the examples I give is that I just talked to you about self-employment tax. You realize that federally there's certain structures you can do that can help minimize that. All legally, you just need to make sure you're checking all the boxes and doing it appropriately. The other thing, most of you don't realize, every state's a little different on how, how they handle certain types of income. For instance, we moved from Georgia to Tennessee. Tennessee treats business income completely different than the state of Georgia does. They don't like S-corporations. They kind of prefer you to be an LLC or a C-corp or something like that because there's some weird taxation that occurs if you're not aware of the ins and outs. So if you're one of these people that, you know, you're starting to have a success, like I said, you probably want to talk to somebody to make sure you're doing the most appropriate business structure because a bad business structure will cost you and it could cost you not only financially, but also liability-wise. Sure. I can remember back in Georgia, Bo, I had a, a client, very successful attorney, that um, you know, I said, for tax purposes, you should really consider restructuring the way you have your business to this. And, he, and he, he went through the process, did it, and then it wasn't probably a few years later, one of their business partners got in some legal trouble. A lot of lawsuits and other things occurred. Guess what protected him? from a lot of the liability, that additional layer of protection. So it's not only a financial thing. It might be a liability issue, and that's why you really do need to pull in the big guns and get somebody to help you out if you get into having enough success that you want to kind of start limiting some of that risk liability that's out there as well. So that's the 10. I know that after we take out my goof-ups and all the other stuff from the beginning of the show, how far are we into this thing right now? I think we're probably 35 minutes okay, or so. Okay, so we can go through a few of these last. I had some honorable mentions and um, things that you need to know. Now, I'm just going to go through these. It's one, two, three, four, five. I'll try to go through these pretty quick. Here's the first one. The government wants to pay you for your driving. This is an important one, especially if you're a person that uses your own car for work. You need to make sure that you understand that you get, if you're not getting reimbursed by your employer, you can take 54 cents per mile off your taxes as an unreimbursed business expense. Now, there is a catch. It's got to exceed 2% of your adjusted gross income. But it is nice if you can track your mileage, you can get 54 cents a mile. If you have, if you are, have enough medical expenses where they exceed 10% of your adjusted gross income, don't forget, it's not just how much you pay for prescriptions, for doctor's visits. They also will reimburse you for medical mileage. And for 2016, that's $0.19 cents a mile. 
Number two, make sure you understand the impact of your all your income sources and what they do to Social Security. Once you get to, to Social Security distribution age. So once you start taking Social Security, there's several things. For my people who are between 62 to 66 and you've already started taking your Social Security, be careful because if you go work anywhere and earn earned income, if it exceeds somewhere around the $15,000 mark, a good portion of that Social Security is going to be coming back to the government. So you need to be careful. That's why if you are going to be working before you reach full retirement age of 66 to 67, depending upon your date of birth, then you really probably shouldn't take Social Security until you reach full retirement age if you have earned income coming in because it's just it is devastating that you start taking Social Security. You're no longer getting that growth behind the scenes, and then you get them to take it back because you made too much money. The other thing is that once you are pulling that money out, a lot of a lot of people don't realize is that as soon as, especially for a married couple, as soon as your income exceeds $44,000, 85% of the Social Security is taxable to you. So it's one of those things where, so if you think about from, if you have $20,000 of Social Security coming in, approximately $17,000 could be taxable if your income was over $44,000. Whereas if you had a low income, it might be tax-free. Right. So it's it's one of those things you need to understand all your different income sources that are coming in and their impact on Social Security. Um, uh, number three, this is a simple one, but it's a common sense one that I think everybody at least should be said. Do your taxes, calculate your taxes, and I'm not saying you had to file your taxes, but do your taxes as soon as you possibly can. Now pay attention to not jumping the gun. You've got to make sure you have all your data, but if you can get it done early, it'll help you in one of two ways. If you owe money to the government, you at least have until April 15th to figure out where the heck you're going to come up with the extra money from. If you're owed money, meaning you get a refund, it at least lets you know, hey, I'm owed this money. Let's get it filed ASAP so I can get this money back to me. So it benefits to the early bird gets the worm. I'm not saying you have to file your taxes uh, by April 15th. I'm just saying, but it's nice if you already know whether you're getting a refund or if you're going to owe the government money so you have time to plan and prepare. Number four. If you're in doubt, here's the thing. Your CPA is doing this as well. It is impossible to know everything about tax preparation. So there will always be some obscure form or something that's going on that even your CPA doesn't know the answer to. And once they go past Google, because you know you can only go so far with Google, you might have to. The next place your CPA is going to is actually the instructions for the actual form. So like a, an example is alternative minimum taxes. I have read that instruction form for the alternative minimum tax form 6251 several times because that's where the government does a pretty good job of laying out what the thought process is on why income is included here, why deductions are here. So when in doubt, just go to the instructions. It's very easy. Go to irs.gov and you can go type in the form number and it will tell you the instructions and you can you can read them and it will give you a heads kind of a leg up on what's going on with that form. And then the last one, pay attention to how you structure your health insurance, especially if you're self-employed, because there could be an offset or a modification to your income for self-employed health insurance. And don't forget, if you're doing a health savings account, if you're a single individual, you could get $3,350 off your taxes. And then if you're over 55, you could also get another $1,000 catch-up on top of that. And if you're a family, you get $6,750. Once again, if you're over 55, you get $1,000 catch-up. 
those things can help you. That those are huge benefits to, on, on your tax prep and saving you and, and just minimizing your taxes as much as legally possible. Anything I missed there, Bo? No, I I'm think, sure that we missed a ton. This just scratched I mean, the surface. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's, uh, you know, child tax credits, dependent care credits, all these other different things. But this is kind of the high level thing of, uh, and then the other thing that I think a lot of people do that you can kind of guard yourself against is we have this tendency that we really care about our taxes from January 31st until April 15th. Yep. And then it's out of sight, out of mind. If you find yourself filing your taxes here and you're like, man, I, I didn't do my HSA last year. Man, I, I just barely missed this credit that I might have qualified for if I changed some stuff around. Use your tax preparation for 2016 to help set you up to make really good tax decisions for 2017 so that it's not something that you think about after the fact. Allow this to be an impetus that that allows you to make some adjustments to help yourself out. Because every dollar that you can keep and add to your army of dollar bills to grow for your future that you don't have to give to Uncle Sam is another soldier in that army that can be working for you. No doubt. And that's what, Bo, even as you're saying that, I was thinking of three other tips I could get. But we could go on and on and on. That's the problem with taxes is it is just such a big task. There's so much minutia in the transaction that it can be overwhelming. So here's the last tip I'll give you guys as we close this show out, is a lot of you might say, first of all, I have learned, I used to recommend people, once you get to a certain point, to hire a professional tax preparer, and then I met a lot of my podcast <laughs> listeners, and I've realized a lot of you guys are wired just like your CPA is, so it might not make sense. I remember we have we have a client and a friend, um, she hired a CPA, and then she um, after after we went through her tax preparation, and she goes, "I knew just as much as my," and I was like, "You know what?" After we That's went through, kind of did. So you know, you're you're just so smart. You guys who listen to this podcast are the cream of the crop. So I don't recommend unless you feel like you are over your head at this point. But it is one of those things. If you do get to the point you need a professional or somebody, just kind of look over your shoulder, make sure you're doing it right. Be careful because not everybody is, not all tax preparers are created equal. I'm so frustrated when I see returns where people just went through the motions. And you see a lot of CPAs, a lot of tax preparers who are just going through the motion. If you give them the shoebox full of documents, they're only going to do what's in that shoebox of documents. A good tax preparer is going to go a step further. They're going to ask you probing questions. They're going to try to understand your situation. And the reason they're doing this is they want to make sure they're not leaving a deduction or something behind because it does you no good if they're just going through the motions of just preparing what you provide for them. You want to find a a tax preparation partner that's going to go a step further and will be patient, will be curious about your personal situation, and willing to explore what opportunities there are to save you money. If you can find somebody who's willing to go through those three steps of being patient, who's also who's willing to, to be curious about your situation and then explore additional deductions and opportunities, you probably found a keeper. So that's something I throw out there just because I'm always surprised, and I still, Bo, you see it. I've been out of tax preparation game for five years, sold the tax business. I still probably have three or four of those tax clients reach out to me every year uh-huh. and say, you really won't do my taxes anymore. I liked how you asked me all these questions. It is one of those things where I think you've got to find somebody who kind of just gels with you on the tax preparation side of things. Guys, I don't know if I I said it enough at the beginning. You guys are the biggest blessing in the world in the fact that this podcast has allowed us to do so much. I mean, I've shared with you guys, I even got to move to a whole different state because of this podcast so I could do some special things with my special needs daughter. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. We just feel, Bo and I, I really do, you know, Warren Buffett whistles while he goes to work. We high-five about every other day about how can you believe we get to do this for a living. And a lot of that's because you guys listen to this podcast. We feel so fortunate that we love what we do for a living and we get to share that with you. We really are this nerdy. We really are this goofy. But I think it's that type of stuff that allows us to connect because you know you're not, you're still getting the top, top, top knowledge and aptitude without all the stuffiness. So if you like what we're doing and you want to take the relationship to the next level, reach out to us. You can go to moneyguy.com. You can go to aboundwealth.com. You can write Bo directly at Bo, B-O, at moneyguy.com. You can write me directly at Brian, B-R-I-N, at moneyguy.com. We love to hear from you. We also like getting suggestions on show topics. We like getting feedback and reviews out there on all the places to connect with us. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll talk to you in two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. Mm